Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. Netflix opened 2023 with one of the gimmickiest shows ever released. But is it worth it? Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. We both watch Glass Onion and the new season of Jack Ryan over the holidays, so we'll review those. Plus... There's already a big surprise in the new year with a new horror comedy out in theaters this week that is being almost unanimously praised. All right, so before we begin here, I just want to mention a couple of quick things. Last week, we did our top 20 TV shows of 2022, and as Jeff pointed out at the beginning of the show, we had, uh, how did you put it, Jeff? An amazing congruence of vacation and ill-timed health issues. There we go. So we recorded our parts separately and mashed it all together later. So in our haste, we forgot to mention, as we typically do, that there were some crossover titles, wherein some shows were among both our favorites for the year, like Reacher, Peacemaker, and of course, Better Call Saul all appeared on Jeff's list, but I love those shows too. A Better Call Saul has been a Couch Potatoes perennial for years, ever since it debuted. But in an effort to showcase as many series as possible and not repeat each other, we just went with entirely separate lists because I had a couple of people asking about that. Why wasn't Better Call Saul on your list? Well, just calm down. And for next week, <laughs> we are going to focus on stuff that we're looking forward to in 2023 because there are a lot of exciting movies and TV shows coming up. And uh, we're just really pumped about that. But for this week, we, we're going to play a little bit of catch up and review some of the stuff we have been watching over the last couple of weeks, including a big one at the theater. Mr. Braun, what did you see? Oh, a huge one. Avatar, The Way of Water, which continues to dominate the box office. Humans are returning. They're hunting us. What's our plan? This is our home. This is our family. This is our fortress. This is where we make our stand. We must protect the people. Let's get it done. Avatar, the way of water. Avatar 2, Aquatic Boogaloo, that's what they should have called it, has made about $1.5 billion worldwide since its release right before Christmas, including the 9 bucks it made for me. I saw it on a regular screen. The 3D option was $19, so I'm glad I saved the extra 10 The movie isn't terrible or anything. In fact, I would say most people will probably feel the same about Avatar 2 as they felt about Avatar 1, however that may be. For me, that means a lot of it was cool to look at. The story was actually kind of decent, but at no point did I really care what happened to any of the characters. That's too bad. James Cameron usually does pretty good with sequels. Uh, movies like Aliens and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, a pair of movies that have the rare distinction of being as good or even better than the first movie. I guess Aliens is maybe debatable. I, I wouldn't know. That's not my world. But T2 is widely regarded as being better than The Terminator. At any rate, Avatar 2 doesn't hit those heights. It is watchable, but I did not get invested in anything going on over the three hours and 12 minutes. This movie is way too long. Usually we say a, a too long movie is you know 20 minutes too long. This is at least an hour too long. I do sort of like the scope of it, though. I don't think there are, are whole storylines that I'd 
cut out, but I would definitely cut a lot of them down. The basic plot is that the two main Smurfs from the first one, Jake Sully, a former human, now a Na'vi is what the blue people are called, and his wife, Natiri, uh, raise a family, and now years later, there's a new human threat on their planet of Pandora. This sends them running. They end up living with the coastal Na'vi, this water-based tribe. They have a more rudder-like tail. Their arms are kind of fin-like. They're more green than they are blue. And once they get there, they learn about the way of water, of course, and it's a bunch of the same kind of thing that Jake learned about the magic forest in the first one, but just in the ocean. And a lot of it centers on their kids. They have four, one of them whom is adopted. The That's the one played by Sigourney Weaver, a child born from her avatar from the first movie. We learn some of her story, but it sort of seems like they're saving most of that for one of the other sequels that are due to come out in the years ahead. The focus here is mainly on one of the sons and how he's bullied by some of the green Smurf kids and how he befriends a whale. And as you would expect, eventually, you know, they do have to face this threat that's been chasing them. And then there's a big fight at the end and it all just takes forever. But uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to look at in Avatar 2. I guess that's sort of worth it. I went back on forth thinking, you know, in one moment how great everything looked, but then the next moment kind of thinking, well, this really is just an animated movie, isn't it? The first movie had a mix of, of humans and uh, the blue people, and this movie has almost no humans in it whatsoever. There's maybe one character that's recurring in, a, in the second half quite a bit, but mostly it's everything you see on screen uh, was created by a computer, even if it was a motion capture thing with actors doing the acting. The planet itself remains breathtaking. The backgrounds and everything look amazing. James Cameron, of course, is no slouch at crafting a movie. The craftsmanship is impeccable. He definitely gets points for that, but it just falls a little flat overall. Again, it's like the first movie, great spectacle, but you kind of walk out of the theater and immediately forget about it. So I'll give Avatar, The Way of Water, three couch cushions out of five, Brett. Um, we also want to discuss a movie that opened for one week only in theaters on November 23rd, and then it moved to Netflix on December 23rd. It's a sequel to the hit Whodunit film from 2019. It's Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Tonight, a murder will be committed. If anyone can name the killer, that person wins our game. This is truly delightful. There has been a murder for one person. This is not a game. The killer wouldn't hesitate to kill again. You must be really great at clues. I'm very bad at dumb things. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Rated PG-13. Daniel Craig returns as Detective Benoit Blanc in a new mystery with another star-studded cast, which includes Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, and Janelle Monet, who gives... Maybe the performance of her career. And there are even some surprises like Ethan Hawke and Hugh Grant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Serena Williams. Knives Out, the first one, was a critical and commercial hit, and it helped to reinvigorate the whodunit genre. And the sequel, Glass Onion, also getting terrific reviews. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes versus the 97% for the first one. Jeff, what would you think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, it might be a little tricky for me because I did watch it almost two weeks ago and have forgotten many of the details already. But, uh, you know, frankly, that's why I'm such a great audience for these kind of movies. I can literally forget all the twists, the ending, the surprises and reveals that make these movies fun. And then, you know, rewatch them and get surprised all over again. Uh, for example, there's a Woody Allen movie called Manhattan Murder Mystery. I used to watch it every few years and the central mystery 
that he and Diane Keaton are trying to solve is whether their neighbor killed his wife. And I can never remember if the guy is actually guilty or not. And it took until I think the fourth rewatch before I was like, where I knew going in which way it was going to turn out. So um, I'm dumb like that, but it, you know, it uh, keeps me entertained because I get to rewatch these things. So I look forward to rewatching Glass Onion because it was a lot of fun. It was very clever and everything you expect from a Knives Out movie. I don't think it's quite as good as the first one. That seemed to have a more compelling story. And even though like Glass Onion, there weren't really any scenes that didn't focus that didn't focus on the mystery. It did feel like the first one was a more character-based story, whereas Glass Onion felt much more like an exercise in plot mechanics and mystery solving. The structure also quite a bit different, which I honestly didn't mind because it's sort if it sort of followed the same beats as Knives Out, we'd just be complaining that it was a retread of the first movie. So that it's quite a bit different in the way uh, the story is set out is. Uh, a good thing, I think, ultimately, because there's a turn about halfway through the movie where it abruptly shifts. You know, there's it's sort of like there's an hour of setup, very vague setup. We might not even really know what the ultimate mystery is. And then there's, you know, the second hour is reveals and explanations. And it, it makes the second half pretty thrilling. But there was a while during the first half of the movie where it didn't feel like it was going anywhere. And I was wondering kind of what it was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be focused on. And it's just a strange way to experience a movie. The rewatch, again, like I said, it'll be fun kind of knowing that the story is indeed going to go in the particular direction that it does. The characters, I also thought maybe not quite as good as the first movie, uh, specifically Kate Hudson and Dave Bautista. I, I can't recall anything about Hudson in this movie already. And I do remember thinking that there was no way that the rest of these characters would be friends with Bautista's character because he was so off-putting and such a obvious way. Leslie Odom Jr., sort of interesting. Catherine Hahn always making more of the material than uh, it might otherwise you know, be dealt with in someone else's hands. And then I thought like Edward Norton and Janelle Monet, like you said, are really great. Monet, especially, you know, she gets to play some comedy. She gets to play sort of the heaviest bit of the drama in the, in the movie. A lot of the mystery stuff falls to her. She's just great all around. And then of course, you know, the movie belongs to Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc, and he's worth the price of admission. Mystery movies, you know, inevitably have a lot of exposition, especially these movies like this that are so complex in the plotting. And I thought uh, Daniel Craig was just masterful at it. I don't know if it's the accent or what, but I could listen to that guy talk all day. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, murder mystery movies over the last few years, and I, I really hope that they you know, somehow take off and just become a full-on craze where we're inundated with them like westerns in the 50s and superhero movies of the past 20 years because, but I mean, that's probably getting my hopes up too high. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston have one coming out this year called Murder Mystery 2, a sequel to a their movie murder mystery from a years ago, a few years ago, which is actually pretty good. It's on Netflix too. Uh, there was the movie, see how they run that's streaming on Disney plus. Now it was in theaters last year. That's very entertaining. If you, if you like a murder mystery, go see, or go to Disney plus to watch, see how they run with, uh, Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell. And then the Fletch movie from last year with John Hamm was terrific too. Uh, I don't think that or see how they run made enough waves to get Hollywood terribly excited about the genre, but hopefully glass onion will keep it alive until something else in the same vein can also be a resounding success and really kick it off glass onion. Like I said, maybe not as great as the first Knives Out, but I'll gladly watch a few more chapters of the Benoit Blanc story. If they want to keep making these movies, I am all in. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Glass Onion. And as far as my thoughts go, I'll just pretty much say ditto. I really liked it. I think I liked it as much, maybe more than the first one. I, I remember that first one. I, I 
it, it had some tonal shifts that I didn't quite get on board with, but I, I would like to watch it again. It's not available on any streamer, so I would have to rent it digitally. So I'm just kind of hoping it pops up on a streamer sooner or later. But uh, I'll give it four couch cushions out of five. I had a lot of fun watching Knives Out. Uh, so up next, we are going to tell you about another show that uh, just debuted in the last few weeks after like three years off. And we were both very excited to see its return. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Jack Ryan is back on Prime Video. Jack Ryan is a fugitive from justice. Is the ground team ready? Waiting on your order, sir. Jack, I'm telling you this as your friend. Run. I need your help. In my professional opinion, this is insane. Thank you. Your condescension has been noted. Second day, I thought we lost you. Sorry to disappoint. Season three of Jack Ryan was released right before Christmas. We both had a chance to watch it over the holidays. It's eight episodes over on Prime Video. It's a spy thriller series. The character, of course, from the series of Tom Clancy novels, which also gave us the five movies, The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Sum of All Fears, and Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. A variety of actors have played Jack Ryan over the years. On the show, he's played by John Krasinski, a.k.a. Jim from The Office. And this season, we find Ryan trying to take down a rogue Russian government faction that's trying to start World War III and only Ryan can stop them. I think it's their best season yet. <clears throat> At least I think it is because it's hard to remember specifics from the other years. It's been a while since season two, I think since 2019. In fact, I do recall that the earlier seasons did have parts that dragged and this season I thought just ripped for eight straight episodes. They plotted things out nicely. So each episode felt like its own thing and they're often be an action scene right near the end or the tension would rise steadily through the episode and each episode would have its own conclusion while still propelling the story onto the next thing. I guess, you know, that's the big success that they broke the story down in a way that had enough little missions as part of the bigger mission. And I kept you guessing, it zigs when you think it'll zag and it doesn't drag out stuff that didn't need to be dragged out. There's a, a bad guy posing as a good guy that we know about immediately, but no one else does. But instead of dragging out that reveal until, you know, the end of the series, he's kind of, you know, people discover that a lot earlier than you would expect. Good stuff like that. It kept my attention. It kept my interest throughout. My only real problem uh, isn't the show's fault. And it's that I had just watched four seasons of The Office in the week before I watched Jack Ryan because I was sick and had nothing else to do. So it was hard to kind of toggle Krasinski from Jim Halpert to Jack Ryan, even though the two characters are nothing alike, but I worked through that. It was all right. The real highlight of the, the this season, I thought, character-wise, was this old Russian guy who's working with Ryan, or is he? You'll have to watch to find out. But he gets a backstory, and he's kind of the emotional backbone of the whole season story, and I just thought uh, what they did with that guy was really good stuff. I like Ryan's uh, crew, too. There's Jim Greer, played by Wendell Pierce, a.k.a. 
Bunk from the Wire. Once again, he's always welcome in anything I'm watching. Michael Kelly returns. He's a Hall of Fame, that guy that you'll surely recognize as Mike November, which is probably the best name of any character. And Betty Gabriel joins the cast. She plays his boss. She was a creepy no, 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 no lady from uh, the movie Get Out, if you remember that. Uh, the show, I believe, has been renewed for a fourth season. Hopefully, they don't have to wait as long to get that made. I don't think they will, because this has become a show I really look forward to on um, I can't say I can't recommend season three enough and the series overall. I, I really digging uh, Jack Ryan. Brett, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I agree that I, it felt like the best season as well. Although I can't quite remember the other two either because season two aired in 2019. Although I don't think I watched it until 2020. I can't remember when I finally got into both seasons of the both first seasons, but either way, uh, it's been a while. Can't remember, but I really enjoyed it. It's not the best show out there, but it's a good, solid, entertaining, international intrigue kind of show, and it had some remarkably sort of stark similarities to what is currently happening with Russia. Like this show went into production in 2021, well before the war in Ukraine began, but there are a lot of sort of things that mirror what is happening right now. So that kind of adds some gravitas to what we're seeing on the screen. Uh, There will indeed be a fourth season, a fourth and final season for Jack Ryan. And hey, just a quick note on the office. You mentioned that you plowed through the office. There was some fear that the office was going to be gone from Netflix. It was supposed to be done on Netflix Canada by the end of the year, but it got re-upped internationally, including Canada, for another two years. So two more years of The Office on Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, I got to tell you about their gimmicky new show that is dominating their charts. That's next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. There is a hot new show on Netflix that debuted on January 1st. Giancarlo Esposito leads an ensemble cast in the heist show Kaleidoscope. There's no such thing as an unbeatable vault. That's weatherproof, shockproof, and thief-proof. This is the most secure vault in the United States, maybe in the world. So what's the score? $7 $7 billion, give or take. What's the split? Even Steven across the board. Who eats spaghetti with chopsticks? Like a billion people. So there you have it. He and his team are looking to break into an impossible vault and make off with billions. But it's the show's gimmick that has drawn so much attention to it. Do you remember Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror movie that came out on Netflix in late 2018? It was a choose-your-own-adventure movie where you would get to the end of a scene and then the screen would pause and it would give you an option to do this or do that. And depending on which way you chose, you got a different scene. It was a fun experience, but definitely more of a gimmick than anything. Well, now, just over four years later, Netflix has a new gimmick to try. a heist 25 years in the making through a unique viewing experience where every episode is a piece of the puzzle viewers watch episodes in different orders entering the crime at different moments in time how did they plan it who betrays whom who 
gets away with it. You are now entering the world of Kaleidoscope. So there are eight episodes, all named after a different color. Blue, red, pink, violet, yellow, orange, green, and white. And as you heard, the idea here is those episodes will appear in different orders for different Netflix users. So the order that pops up for you, Jeff, should, I guess, be different than how it popped up for me. Uh, But they all end with the white episode because that's designed to be the finale. So in theory, you can watch this in any order and it still tells the same story without spoiling other aspects of the story before the finale. My order was red, yellow, blue, orange, green, violet, pink, and white. And each episode is set in a different timeline. Red starts, for example, the day after the heist. Violet is 24 years before the heist. And pink is six months after. And apparently there are over 5,000 possible combinations, permutations in which you can watch this series. And then if you decide, you know what, I don't want to watch the white episode as the finale. Well, then it jumps to over 40,000 combinations. So I guess it's a neat concept. And if you Google how to watch Kaleidoscope, you will find oodles of pages on this. And they'll often list the chronological order if you would rather just watch it as a more linear story. Or you'll get some other varying suggestions like people, will, the, the writer will say, this is the order I watched it in and this is the order I wish I had watched it in. I try not to put too much thought into that, though. I figured, ah, I'll just watch it in the order that's presented on my Netflix because I didn't want to overthink it before it even started. Uh, I'd rather just focus on the story than be wondering, ah, should I have watched this in a different order? Would I be enjoying this more? So the question is, is it any good? Well, I can't render my final verdict yet because I almost finished. I almost finished but not quite. I have still have the fa- the finale left, the white episode. I started to watch it, but I just said, no, turn it off, man. Go to bed. Um, I should point out, though, when the white episode started, there was this little blurb at the bottom of the screen that popped up that said only two episodes left. So maybe there's a bonus episode you have to unlock. I, I don't know. I didn't look into that. I'm just going to let it play out on its own. But what I've watched so far... I've enjoyed, but I'm not loving it. Also worth pointing out, it's at 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. The primary complaint is that it's a neat gimmick that's masking a boring story. I wouldn't go so far as to call it boring, but it's also not gripping. I I don't know that this needs to be eight episodes. I think six would have been better, maybe even four. But it is a neat story, and it's a neat heist. It's a neat vault that they've created. It's a good cast, and I do like the varying timeline stories and how they help to inform the overall story because some of it is fun, some of it is funny, some of it is dramatic, some of it is tragic. And then it all culminates with the heist itself in the finale, which I will report back on next week. As for the gimmick, I mean, I'm not really sure I understand the point of it because Bandersnatch was neat because you could sit on the couch beside someone and you could both start watching it at the same time on your phones or computers or whatever and have totally different experiences and then you can talk about them all in about two, three hours. This is an eight-hour series. Like, do they think I'm going to go back and watch it over and over in different orders? Maybe if it was excellent, but it's not excellent. It's just okay. Like, I want to see how it plays out, but partly because I've just invested too much time at this point. I gotta, fi- I gotta see it through, but once I finish it, that's it. I'm done with Kaleidoscope. Uh, I will point out, for me, the best episodes so far were green, violet, and pink because they were 
thrilling, tense, dramatic, and as mentioned before, tragic. Maybe next week I'll tell you White is the best episode. Maybe I can tell you if you even need to bother watching the rest of it. More details next week. I should also point out, and you heard some of this in the the clip from the trailer, this show has a great soundtrack, both for the original score, which is light and kind of funky when it needs to be, dark and sad when it needs to be, and the songs they have been choosing throughout, they are soulful and funky, and they've all got amazing lyrics that are just apropos to the scene they're in. And a lot of these songs I've never even heard of, so kudos to them for that. So next week I'll tell you what I thought about Kaleidoscope. Uh, what do you think? Are you going to check this out? Oh, it's tempting. I, I Although I sort of think maybe I should check out Bandersnatch instead because I know you like that one and the, the show that was came from the Black Mirror, which I've not seen any of. So I don't know. I, the Kaleidoscope thing, it's tempting, but if its story's not as good as you'd like it to be maybe maybe i'll skip it yeah uh, but I'll, I'll i'll maybe just wait back until next week if the finale brings it home then maybe it'll be worthwhile i also just wanted to mention this too uh just as we're doing the for some of what we're doing today is playing catch up season three the season three and series finale of a show called his dark materials um it well it wrapped up on boxing day on hbo I am gathering the greatest from every world. Even the heavens above. The real war is coming. And I would risk everything to ensure victory. What are you willing to risk? Father President, the time has come. The child is with her mother. Bring them to me. Dead or alive. It would be an honor. His Dark Materials is a fantasy series based on a trilogy of books from the 90s from author Philip Pullman. Um, How do I sum up this show? I mean, it's a coming-of-age story for two young people. Well, first, here's this from the Wikipedia summary. It functions in part as a retelling and inversion of John Milton's epic Paradise Lost, with Pullman commending humanity for what Milton saw as its most tragic failing, original sin. The trilogy has attracted controversy for its criticism of religion. So our protagonist is young Lyra Balacqua. She lives in a world where souls are external and appear in the form of animals, and they can talk. In this world, they're called demons, spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. So everyone just walks around with their soul, a.k.a. their demon. Lyra's demon alternates from form depending on the mood. Sometimes it's a red panda. Sometimes it's this like little weasel-looking thing. Sometimes it's a bird. Sometimes it's a pine marten, which is another cute little rodent thing. Others have majestic demons, like big cats or birds. Others are more sinister-looking, like spiders. Lots of the bad guys have bugs or arachnids. For their demons. And the bad guys in Lyra's world are the Magisterium. They are the ruling power, the Holy Church, and they answer only to the authority, i.e. God. And Lyra eventually learns there are multiple worlds, a multiverse, if you will. Getting sick of that word already. And it's prophesied that Lyra has a huge role to play, and it's one the Magisterium wants nothing to do with. She's a threat to them, and eventually she meets up and teams up with a boy named Will, and together they must win the day. There are flying witches, armored polar bears, other interesting creatures, and even angels. In 2007, there was a movie adaptation of the first book, Northern Lights. The movie was called The Golden Compass. It fell kind of flat, though, in spite of its Oscar-winning visual 
effects and any future films were scrapped. The TV series debuted in 2019, the second season in 2020, and season three in December, airing two episodes a week and wrapping up the eight-episode season on Boxing Day. And it's funny because near the beginning of December, I had this random moment where the show popped into my head, and I thought, when does season three start? It's been like two years. So I checked my PVR, and there was a recording set for that night, December 5th. So I thought that was kind of cool. I just, I thought it was a great show overall. I, I really enjoyed it. The visuals were staggering. The story is cool. The fantasy elements are really cool without being too fantasy. Like it's not like a Lord of the Rings show where it's wizards and swords. It's set in the present and getting to see the difference or the differences between worlds is kind of cool. If you're into shows that wage war on religion and religious entities, maybe it's not for you, but... It is just a story, and it celebrates the best of humanity and denounces the worst. So I would give the series overall four couch cushions out of five for his dark materials, which you can watch on demand on Crave. Up next, we got to tell you about the new movie that's out this weekend that is really surprising me with the kind of reviews that it's getting. And we got to tell you about a couple of other movies that uh, are sort of along the same lines that have me very excited. Call it a sort of a prequel to our show next week where we're going to look at the things we're excited about in 2023. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. The first new movie of the year is often a horror movie. I'm not really sure why. Likely because they need to put something new in theaters, but it can be a quiet weekend after the holidays, so they drop in something that will likely be critically panned. It's something they can just bury in January, but they'll still make a quick buck from diehard horror fans before the movie disappears a couple of weeks later. This year is starting a little different. Yes, it's still a horror movie, but it's more of a horror comedy, and it's getting almost unanimous positive reviews at last check 96% on Rotten Tomatoes the movie is spelled M3GAN or Megan hi I'm Megan I designed Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely you're gonna pair with her it's insane right I won't let anything harm you Megan you should run what the hell was that did Megan do something bad Oh, the door! What are you? I'm Megan. Megan, rated PG-13. Megan is another movie entry into the killer doll theme. It's about a girl named Katie whose parents are killed, so she goes to live with her aunt, played by Allison Williams. Her aunt is a scientist who has created a Model 3 generative android, or Megan for short an android protector and friend. The aunt decides Katie could benefit from Megan, so she brings her home, and they become friends, but it quickly becomes clear her programming has gone rogue, and she starts killing people in the name of protecting Katie. It looks thrilling and amusing, and based on the reviews, it looks worth seeing for sure. The android is actually played by a person, so you're seeing a person on screen, but the the face is CG, and normally when you see that on screen, it, it just looks weird and doesn't work. But in this case, it looks it looks like it works great because it's creepy, and she's supposed to be creepy. So if you like horror comedies, maybe Megan is for you. And speaking of horror movies, which often have a comedic hint to them, a new trailer came out this week for what will be the fifth movie in the Evil Dead franchise, Evil Dead Rise. It's about two adult sisters. One of them has been out on the road, but pays her old sis a visit. Her sister has three kids, and then something bad happens. 
I'm getting this out of here. You'd be a good mom someday, honey bath. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know how to lie to kids. Mommy's with the maggots now. So a flesh-covered bo- flesh book is discovered in the basement, and when they read it, they unleash demons into their apartment building, and one of the demons takes the mom. The Evil Dead movies are some of the most interesting in the horror genre because the first three from director Sam Raimi, the first one was super low budget, but it's a cult classic. And then for Evil Dead 2, he basically remade his first movie. He just made it bigger and goofier. And then there was Army of Darkness, which is totally insane. And in 2013, there was a remake slash sequel. And now we have Evil Dead Rise, which looks super gory, not for the faint of heart, and it looks scary. It's out on April 21st. Jeff Braun, I imagine you'll be booking your ticket as soon as possible. I will be booking my ticket to uh, anything else besides that Evil Dead movie, maybe even Megan, because you said that uh, the guy said it was PG-13, so maybe Megan is more up my alley because there can't be too much gore in it if it's not even an R. Just want to mention this as well, because another horror comedy trailer debuted this week, also out in April. It opens April 14th. It's called Renfield, and it stars Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage. Are you here for the meeting? Well, come on! No! No! Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. To most, I am Dracula. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Now, let's eat. Nicholas Cage is Count Dracula. I'm sold. Jeff, I know you like the vampire comedy stuff. You're going to see this? I'm, I'm, I'm not in the theaters. If, we, if I get uh, word that it's not too gory, it does sound like something I would like to enjoy at some point. Yeah, it's a, it focuses on Renfield. He wants to get out of the relationship. He, he The trailer starts with him walking into this like group therapy session, and he says, I need to get out of a toxic relationship. And then we learn that he has... Uh, been imbued with some cool powers from Dracula, but he just he's trying to figure a way out. And then Count Dracula comes to see him, and uh, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun, and I love everything Nicolas Cage does, so what the heck? Why not? That is all the time we've got this week. Next week, what are we looking forward to in 2023? I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>